This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. Um, Today we've got with us a gentleman called Martin Dunsford um, from Hedge End in the UK. And we've got Martin on because uh, he did uh, for Christchurch Manchester our School of Ministry. So we have a School of Ministry which effectively is about helping people to pray, thinking about gifts of the Spirit, uh, how we make that active in, in real life. And Martin came in um, did a talk for us a week ago and I wasn't there or it was a few weeks ago now I wasn't there but I listened to the recording afterwards uh, and I don't, I don't know Martin very well but I was really struck by a few things about his story which I would like to get into today and particularly for those of us who are pastors listening or perhaps aspire to being a pastor um, because Martin's story and the way uh, that he has done ministry uh, I think is relatively unusual i don't know many people uh, like you martin so really i'm thinking for pastors who, who well. you what did you say just as well yeah no it's true but for, i think for a lot of pastors actually think about how they connect their church with the rest of the world can be quite a daunting thought perhaps even thinking how do i help the people in my church lift their eyes above just the kind of um, normal life to a global picture and, or perhaps for pastors out there who feel the desire to do that, actually, they want to serve the global church in some way or help plant churches in foreign countries. And, and actually, it's um, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to do. Otherwise, a lot more people would do it, uh, I think. So um, so just for, for context, if you are uh, listening to this and you don't know who um, Martin is or who I am even, um, we are both currently part of a group of churches called New Frontiers. Um, and Martin is a, a local pastor, really. That would be uh, how I would describe you, a local pastor with significant overseas ministry. Um, and again, I, th- I find it very eye-catching because it's very unusual. So I want to get into a bit of background first, just to build a picture. Um, tell us how you became a Christian. Give us that kind of journey for us. Um, yeah, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I first heard the gospel when I was about 15. I was invited to a boys' brigade camp. Uh, The gospel was preached. I found I immediately believed in Jesus, gave my life to Jesus. Uh, Can't say it really made a lot of difference or meant a lot to me uh, when that happened. Um, But when I eventually went to university, um, I soon grew tired of um, the freedoms and the opportunities for, uh, you know, the kind of lifestyles that you can do there in, in, in university. It soon, I soon grew weary of all that. And in my heart was born a desire to really find out if God really existed. And so I set myself the goal of trying to find God. And so I started to pray. I'd never seriously prayed before. Uh, other than you know the normal kind of help me here God or do this for me and and all that kind of stuff Um, but I began to read the Bible seriously I began to pray every morning when I got up I would get up an hour early I was disciplined with it I found I could be disciplined 
uh, and then at night, so 11 o'clock at night, and then through till midnight, even one o'clock in the morning, I found I was able to pray and my heart was beginning to cry out to God. And um, one night, um, as I was praying, I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think now if I, if I had to describe it, I, I entered into some kind of trance or a, a sense of the presence of God, which I'd never really felt before. And I saw a vision um, from behind and, and to the side of the cross. And there was a man, Jesus, of course, on the cross. And it was a very, you know, painful, poignant kind of scene. And this beautiful face half turned to me and I heard a voice, I heard his voice saying, this is for you. And uh, my heart just broke. I, I was weeping for the rest of the night. I, I, my life was dramatically impacted by that. Um, I, I, I realized this was, this was what I'd been seeking for. And from that moment on, I really knew the Lord in, in quite a, an intimate way. I delighted in the Lord. I started, I loved to pray. I, I, um, even back in those days, I managed to get myself a car. I'd drive out into the New Forest. I was at university in Southampton. I would uh, walk along the trails in the forest and run around, run along them, praising the Lord. I was free. I was really free in my heart from guilt and shame. And uh, I loved the Lord with all my heart. And it was a, a beautiful time. So, yeah, right, right. You, we could make about eight podcasts out of some of the different things you said there. So let's, um, let's go back to, well, first of all, I love hearing about people becoming Christians as teenagers and then meeting God at university like you. Um, I've got a church with loads of students in, so always gives me hope. Um, but the, so you, let's just talk about the trance and the vision. Okay. So let's imagine there are people listening to this podcast who just at that moment, like what happened, you had a trance and a vision. Can you, um, does that happen to you a lot? How, what's your, do you have a, I don't know, it's a big word, but like, what's your theological understanding of, yeah, I just, I prayed lots, then had a trance and a vision. Some people might be thinking, did he eat cheese? Was there wine involved? Do you know what I mean? So well, can't unpack it a little bit for us. It, it was a totally uh, new, novel, different experience for me. I, I really had no idea what was happening. Mm. But I, I um, entered into... Um, uh, another world I was fully conscious but I I find it difficult to describe mm. I knew I was in the presence of the Lord like I, I I'd never been before mm. um, and uh, the vision uh, in it was again the, the first time I'd ever experienced that I, I I had all those questions was I going a bit loopy yep you know was I becoming a bit strange I mean not many people kind of spend their evenings and their mornings praying I didn't know any I didn't know any other Christians at the time at university that it wasn't that I was meeting with Christians all my friends were non-Christians and uh, I realized I was being a bit um, different even eccentric. Um, but I was quite, I 
think I was quite normal. I was playing football for the university team. I was studying chemistry. I had lots of friends. We did lots of stuff together. So it wasn't that I, I was totally strange, but um, uh, I, I had all I can describe it. It was a, a, an experience where I entered the presence of God and I heard his voice. I saw a vision. Mm. something i heard a voice and let me just say the same voice i heard that night is exactly what i hear now when god speaks to me mm. been with me throughout my life and uh, when when i i would no doubt say oh god told me to do this or god spoke to me it's this voice that i heard and of course jesus said my sheep hear my voice they recognize my voice i learned to recognize the voice of god um, it was a weird experience for him strange experience but it totally impacted my life i i can only say i loved god and i was free and i rejoiced and i was was uh, a changed person very good well, we're we're going to come back to this because it is fascinating. But um, so you became a Christian at fifteen, and so and then you met God powerfully. Um, and when did the journey to become a pastor begin? How did how did that work? Around the same time, I started then having having dreams, which again was very unusual for me. Um, but I dreamed. I had I had a couple of recurring dreams. One was. Uh, seeing um, trees on on a hillside and the wind started to blow and the leaves began to rustle and the branches began to bend and it kind of moved down the valley as it were and there I was preaching to a bunch of people <laughs> and I thought wow that's me and um, uh, and I kind of began to realize i didn't really understand it but i kind of began to realize that this is what god wanted me to do with life and at the same time uh, a whole bunch of my friends um, in university got saved and um uh and you know we we started meeting together you know i found um you know it was easy to gather people we'd meet together and quickly there are a hundred of us meeting together we'd have eat together with them worship together someone had a guitar we i i learned how to preach a little bit and share the word of god from the bible and um born in my heart at that time at university that that group of students subsequently became uh, the community church in Southampton. It became one of the largest charismatic churches in, in the south of England. And um, uh, so it, it, you know, I, I kind of got gripped with this. The other dream I had was, um, you know, those films where um, you see the army all on horseback with banners and, and yep. gradually they start, the horses start running. Yep. And get faster and faster and, and they were all bearing down on me and as i looked i saw all these people with different faces there were black faces white faces asian faces um eskimo faces i began i realized there were eskimos in there and uh oh, i realized this was an army of completely loads of different nationalities and then suddenly i was on a horse and i was charging down together with them and part of them, and there was a whole army 
uh, and I realized this is the army of God. And, uh, uh, and then a, a, an Argentine missionary came along um, to uh, a meeting in a Christian meeting in, in the town of Southampton. I went along out of interest. And uh, this guy picked me out of a, of a crowd of people and he, he just prophesied over me, this from Argentina, this guy. And he said, the hand of God's on your life and God's going to take you to the nations and you're going to preach the gospel all around the world. Uh, and God is raising you up to do this. And uh, gradually you begin to understand that the hand of God is on your life. And um, amazingly, like for me, I mean, if you knew my background, this was amazing <laughs> um, and totally not me. Um, but it was in my heart. So that was, I think, the beginning of, this, of a sense of the call of God. Um, so you were at university in the what that the 1970s would that be right yeah, yeah yeah and you effectively it sounds like you planted a church by without quite intending to plant a church would that be fair just that, that's exactly what happened but we didn't know we were planting a church we were just meeting as a bunch of students yeah and actually leadership came easy to me because it was all relationally based yeah we were all friends together yeah it wasn't like I had to impress or prove myself, impress anyone or, or anything like that. It just kind of flowed. So was this in that, that the because the 70s were in the... Britain, early Britain, 70s. This would have been... I, I went to university in 1970. Right, okay. So this has been about the time of the house church movement. but Just bit, beginning. Yeah, just beginning. And a bit before kind of the charismatic renewal, or was that was it in that? Well, I um, one another guy that came along to preach in a, in a local Pentecostal church was Bryn Jones. Right. Uh, who some of you may have heard of. He yeah. was one of the kind of pioneers of the the early pioneers of the charismatic movement in the in the UK back in the late 60s, 70s, 80s. Those, he, he was one of the one of the kind of main guys. And I just loved Bryn from the moment I, I heard him. Um, I went and talked to him afterwards. We, you know, met up the next day. Um, and um, uh, he came down again, spoke to our student group, invited me to go up and, uh, and stay with him. So uh, after university finished, I went, I got myself a job, teaching job uh, in West Yorkshire, in Wakefield, actually. And uh, I lived in Bradford, just down the road from Bryn. Yeah. And, uh, and so the um, uh, I, I was there with Bryn and travelled around a, a bit with Bryn. Bryn was one of those colourful characters who had amazing faith, who was full of joy, who loved people. He was just a great person to be with, very inspiring person to be with. Mm. He prayed for the sick. They got healed. Mm prayed for the demonized they got delivered mm. uh, i know few other people who god used like Bryn. he was truly an amazing leader and uh, so um we he started a new church in bradford I, I had a house group at that time just a few people met with me and my new wife um uh, we got married up there um and um uh, Bryn, the, the church grew, our house group grew, multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. Uh, after a couple of years, we, we were looking after about 100 people. The church was 
maybe 200 people. Bryn at that time was then ready to go off to America and preach over there. And he came to me one day and said, will you take over the church? And so um, I, was, I was ready. I was up for it. I was 27 at the time. And um, I became the leader of the church there. And uh, in, in those years, for the next three Three, four years, the church grew to 600 people. Um, we planted about 14 churches around West Yorkshire. Um, in, in those years, we gathered leaders together. Um, that was where I learned how to, be a, how, how to be a pastor. I love to be a pastor. I love people. Yep. In heart, I'm a pastor yep. more than anything else. Um, so yeah, love preaching the gospel every week. People were getting saved, prayed for the sick. The first time I ever tried to publicly pray for the sick was a bit of a disaster, but I invited people forward, said, God will heal you. Crazily over, you know, too bold and presumptuous, but this guy kind of limped out. And uh he said, I've got um uh uh hemorrhoids. And I didn't know what hemorrhoids were. So, so I said to him, well, sit down here and I'll pray for you. And everyone burst out laughing. And, uh, I, he, he was not healed, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, um, let's say, uh, right, so you went to, you went to Yorkshire, you uh, took over a church there of about 200 people. That became 600 and you planted 14 churches. Ex that you just kind of threw that away there as a comment of something you did. Not many people can do that. So how did what I'm, I think I might know the answer, but was there a strategy at the beginning where you thought we're going to grow this and plant churches or how did that happen? Uh, I can honestly say there was no great strategy behind it. Um, people started coming to the church from a wider and wider area. Of course, Bradford's in the whole Leeds, Bradford kind yeah. of belt there a lot of people yeah we you know and, and and eventually house groups we called them house groups cell groups we, we called them house groups in those days um and uh house groups in those different places started up and they gradually grew and um and they became churches in their own right there were also a few uh, leaders from other churches saw what was happening and they wanted to join with us. And eventually we, we, we formed what was grandly called the West Yorkshire Presbytery, uh, which over which I presided, <laughs> not having a clue what I was doing, of course. Just a very young, un inexperienced kind of uh, pastor, but with a heart for God, passion for God. Um, uh, and I think that's the what, a, a, a very important thing, because... Uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't kind of, you know, trying to make it or conform or prove myself. I, I was just passionate for God. And I think that's, if I, if I could emphasize anything in this podcast is seek God with all your heart. Learn to live in the presence of God, whatever it takes you need to give up however long it takes learn to seek god love the presence of god continue praying until you come into the presence of god when you feel 
the the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the electricity of God, um, the the kind of supernatural element where anything could happen here. Um, we're kind of on the edge of our seats for for God to move, and uh, and then everything else comes out of that. And uh, it, it's not a, a strategy. It's not a plan of action. It's not a uh, 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 a, a theological persuasion that you have to do things in a certain way. Mm. Um, we had nothing of that. Um, deeply biblical. I was reading the Bible, studying the Bible all the time, learning as I went. I never had any formal Bible training, but um, but learned a lot, read a lot, constantly reading, constantly praying with an open Bible. There's an open Bible in every room of our house. Um, yeah. Very good. So, okay, that is fascinating. So I would suggest at, the, at this point in, we live in a time of kind of relatively um, strategic uh, for churches. So we, we often, I mean, and uh, I'm a, an advocate of that. So we um, talk about multi-site here in Manchester and uh, we have a pretty clear way that we try and do it as a kind of entrepreneurial multi-site, I guess we would call it. Um, and um, I, I think that would be fairly, I think a lot of people would talk in those terms nowadays, and we would hear less people perhaps talk in the terms that you are now. Um, do you, is that something you would think is true? Have you observed that as well? Yeah. Um, and I'm also a strategic and uh, very organized, very um, uh, conscious of the need to be disciplined, to have uh, uh, effective administration, uh, uh, especially financial administration. Mm. Um, I, I would say that um, the issue becomes First of all, what, what's your pro the priority is to hear God and do what he says. Yeah. Right? That comes before everything else. Yeah. And so what, when you've heard God and he's told you to do something that you know very well is completely impossible, yeah. you have not got the ability within yourself, you've not got the resources, you've not got the wisdom, you've not got the people around you, you've not got the... Uh, the money, certainly, uh, and yet you know God has spoken. Yeah. Um, and that is when everything starts. When God speaks, when God tells you what to do, then you start working out. But through prayer, through seeking God continually as well, but how are you going to do it? What, yeah. what does that mean? On You know, God speaks to you on Sunday night. What does that mean on Monday morning? What do you do about it? Mm what's actually practically the next step yeah i think a lot of people i think people go to two extremes i think there's there's the 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 people that pray a lot and they pray too much because when god god uh, god will say do something and they're still praying about it and of course we're waiting for the spirit to move we're waiting for the you know we're waiting on god and and it's all kind of you know used as an excuse to do nothing yeah and so there's there's a spiritual brigade that uh, uh, pray too much. I I I was at that end of the spectrum, and I used to pray a lot. And one I can tell you of a, of a story when God said to me, "Stop praying," <laughs> and uh, we were this this 
should be an example that comes later in the story, but um, in the church that where I am now, um, we were looking to build a church. We felt God was going to enable us to either give us a building, we'd have to buy it, of course, but or build a building. And um, uh, and um, we were we were. Um, oh, it's a long story, but. Um, uh, I'll tell you about it later. But God spoke to me. I was praying and praying and wondering. Yeah. The guy that wanted that we needed, who was going to sell it to us, he refused to sell it to us. And so I, I knew God, God wanted us to have this piece of land. I was walking past this piece of land. I, I every every day I used to walk past it, a field, and I had a big Alsatian dog at the time. We'd walk together. And uh, I'd be praying and he'd be jumping, terrorizing everyone that passed by. And um, we're walking past this field like we had done every day for a, a few years. And God spoke into my heart and said, this is your field. And I thought, this is too big and mm. impossible and crazy. Mm. And, but we jumped over the fence and we walked around it for about a month. And then I plucked up courage to go and find the owner. And he said, I will never sell you this field. I don't like Christians. You're all hypocrites. Go away. I never want to see you again. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I didn't know what to do next. And God spoke to me again and said, stop praying and start planning. Mm. And on the basis of that, we started a planning application on this field that we didn't own. And anyone would tell you that's a very foolish thing to do. And it was. Um, and um, uh, but I, I learned I'd heard the voice again God, yeah. this is your field stop praying stop praying how can that be God to tell you to stop praying um, anyway we did stop praying we started our planning application the guy still refused to sell it to us about six weeks before the planning application was going to be held the, the planning uh, permission meeting uh, with the council. I mean, we, this cost us £100,000 just to get planning, just to, with all the consultancy fees. We committed to this. Yeah. It wasn't a small, small thing, this. No. And about six weeks before the, the, meet, the meeting, I was invited to speak on uh, some of my international work with children. We, we have a charity called Cry Care Relief for the Young. We look, we try and help poor kids. Um, and uh, I was invited to go and speak about this to a local Rotary Club. So I went along you, these places, you sit down, have a meal together. The place next to me was empty. We had the meal and this bloke who owned the land suddenly came in and sat down next to me. <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh dear, this is gonna be a bit awkward. <laughs> rude to me before that. Yeah. Um, anyway, I did my talk. After that, he said to me, he said, do you still want to buy my land? I said, yes, please. And he said, right, we'll do business. He said, let's do it. He said, come around and see me tomorrow. I went around to see him the next day. We sat in his room. He said, how much are you prepared to give me? I said, I knew what it was worth. I mean, over a million quid. Yeah. So I said, 250,000. <laughs> he said, no way. He said, 450,000. I said, okay, yes, we agree. And we shook hands. We, we got the deal done in five minutes. 
we it's incredible and, yeah. and then the planning permission meeting came up we got we got planning permission within a month of signing the contract conditionally on getting planning permission to to buy the land it it all happened just a couple of days before the planning meeting and uh, and so you know we saved ourselves a year 18 months because we followed what yeah. god told us to do very good so it's the people that pray too much and do nothing they're yeah. not ready to act on the other hand there's the people that don't really pray enough they think it's all organize it strategize it plan it mm. figure out where the money's coming from and then when they've got everything in place organizationally then they're confident enough to move ahead yeah and i think we need to get it in the middle so we need to hear from god be ready to go and then do it so the the hearing from god thing just to state the glaring obvious is um it seems to be the center point from which this spins for you um particularly in the way that you hear from god so when, just when you were talking i was thinking actually something i've been thinking about just for myself so i'll, I'll make myself look bad here for the sake of a good question uh, of late thinking I, i've not i couldn't say i've not heard from god recently because i do just when i'm praying but my my default is often uh, wouldn't it be great to be in a meeting where there are prophetic people there and perhaps i will hear through god through through someone who's prophetic which obviously in the last 18 months nobody's really doing that um and and that doesn't and whenever i hear you talk it's you're praying lots and you hear god as you pray in your which in that in itself is actually relatively unusual i think a lot of times i hear people with big vision and they'll say yeah this person prophesied this of which i think is very valid i've got no problem with it but here how you're talking it's a very different thing would you do you know what i mean does that make sense yeah i think the um i this is my maybe this is a personal thing and i i'm not saying it's got to be like this or um but I personally am much more confident. In fact, I'm, I'm totally confident when I hear from God in the quietness of my own uh, uh, life before God. I, that pr Prophecies come and confirm that. Right. Uh, we often look for, for um, prophecies to come and direct us, but prophecies usually come and confirm things. In fact, the kind of prophecy that most people um, who prophesy in our churches use, um, which is very valid and, ver and very good, is, is in that kind of realm of confirmatory yeah. encouragement, confirmation, that kind of level. When a, when a prophet of God comes along, he will bring some directive prophecy. Yes, which is pretty good. People who yeah. prophesy... Yeah. And, uh, and and people and a, and a real prophet yeah in the ministry of a prophet there there in my experience i have known a few prophets right okay lots of people who prophesy brilliant prophecies all that are very encouraging very helpful and edifying building up uh, there are few prophets who come and initiate something with the word of the lord yeah absolutely um so with the just as you're describing your that how it works for you in terms of, you, you're working in a team in your church or when you're traveling and uh, how is 
how is you how is it accountable how do people argue and disagree with you and or, or weigh it together does that make sense oh yeah i'm very used to people disagreeing with me <laughs> <laughs> um in well if i if i talk about that in the context of developing the overseas work is that yeah yeah, yeah great that um yeah we developed uh, in the church where i am now um we we start uh, we we've, we've been there now 34 35 years i handed over the leadership uh, after 30 years of leading the church so i'm no longer leading the church at all um but um when i moved to hedge end which is the village near southampton that we're living in where we started this church yeah um where where god clearly i was pastoring in southampton anyway there's another story i moved from bradford back to southampton to the people that i was at university with and joined yeah. the church there that grew um to many hundreds one of the biggest churches on the south coast biggest charismatic churches in 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 the uk on the south coast and then i God spoke to us and said, move out. We had, there was a little group of people in this village called Hedge End on the outskirts of Southampton. We moved there and that was the start of this church that uh, uh, is, is now. And um, uh, yeah, we immediately developed a, 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 a leadership team and uh, there, there were, after a year or two, a few elders. We were an independent church. We weren't... Um, in any um, family of churches or group of churches, we were just independent at that time. Um, although I knew lots of people in different um, streams and, and church groups. Are we in the 1980s now? Or this now was 90. We moved there in 1987. 87, right? Okay. So. Um, so when did you leave uh, Bradford? Bradford, we left in 1980, and then I was in Southampton pastoring this church in Southampton yeah. until 1980. No, we, we were in, uh, no, we were in Southampton from 83 to 87. Right. Uh, in Bradford, leading the church in Bradford from 79, 80 to 83. And then f since, um, uh, 87 in in hedge end right. so we um but you know by then i i had some experience and background both of small church growing and leading a large church so i wasn't fresh at it yeah um but we started you know with a small group of people again and um yeah we we developed an eldership team <clears throat> there were a couple of guys who were older elders mature men of god a um, couple of younger guys um, who got saved and, and were just brilliant young young men. Uh, and they joined the team. And, and so, yeah, so we had an eldership team. And, and we, we were very clear that every decision was going to be a joint decision, joint agreement. We were, no one was going to do anything on their own. We would really run this as a team. And uh, obviously, I was the leader of the team. Um, but it was it was a team so um, um you know very clearly there were there was various values we kind of laid out for ourselves one of them being that that everything that we wanted to be free to say everything that we really felt in that leadership team 
I didn't want to hear stuff being said outside, you know, round yeah. back and behind, you know, just say it as it is, even if, if it's difficult to say it or if you feel it's going to be upsetting to anyone, say it and anyway. let's sort it out in that team. Yeah. Uh, and that's how we developed the team. Um, and it, it was a great team. It was, it was fantastic. Full of faith, full of joy, full of laughter, um, full of love. It, it was brilliant. And that was how the church grew. So very relationally. Okay. So when did you start? So you, you had the uh, um, the guy from Argentina prayed and prophesied over you. Uh, so when did you start going abroad? How did that begin? Even in, yeah. in quiet times and in your praying, how did it begin? Okay. In 1972, while I was at university, yeah. um, the Olympics were on in Munich. Yeah. Um, I was into athletics, believe it or not, at the time, and not as a competitor, but I, from our athletics club, we we went down, a group of us, to uh, spectate at the Munich Olympics. Yeah. Um, afterwards, I decided um, that I, in those days you could hitchhike round places quite um, safely, and I decided I'd hitchhike round Germany and have a look at Germany at, at the time. I had some time to do it. And um, I was at a place called Karlsruhe by the entrance to a motorway. And I'd been there quite a long time. The sun was shining. And I'd been praying, but also getting frustrated and no, no one's picking me up, all that kind of stuff. And um, I can only describe it as one of those moments where the, the, where the presence of God came to me. And I knew I was in the presence of, of God again. I was in the spirit before the Lord. And it wasn't just the sun shining down on me. I, I know Paul saw a great light in heaven, but for me, it was like that. Um, of, I don't want to compare myself with Paul. <laughs> it was like that. And I heard a voice from heaven again, the same voice. Um, and this voice said to me, I'm going to bring you back to this country and you're going to preach the gospel here. Mm. And uh, from that moment on, I, I just had a, a heart for Germany. I'd pray for Germany. I'd read books about Germany. God. Anyway, years later, 1983, I was in Southampton at the time. Um, another couple who made a huge impact on our lives was Arthur and Eileen Wallace. Mm. You may, uh, some of you older people or people, you know, who know the history, they were also leads of the charismatic movement. Mm. Great old couple. I used to pray with Arthur. Um, that's really where I learned to pray. I would, I would, every week I would drive over to his place. We would pray at five o'clock in the morning for a couple of hours. They were like a mum and dad to us. They were, they were brilliant to us. They used to roll up at our house. Whenever they came, they never used to say when they'd come and see us. They just, the knock, there'd be a knock on the door. It was always what we called suicide hour. <laughs> kids, we were trying to get the kids fed and changed and ready for bed. Arthur and Eileen would walk in. And uh, it was just complete chaos, but they were brilliant. And Arthur was invited to go and do a conference in West Berlin. Mm. 1983 Gosh. And, uh, at the last minute he said to me 
I'm, he was, he became ill, couldn't go. And he said, I know your burden for Germany. I can arrange for you to go in my stead. And so that became my very first um, uh, ministry trip abroad. I went to West Berlin with a, and took another friend with me. And um, we had a most disastrous conference because they, they were, were, turned out they were kind of Baptists and non-charismatic and I was a wild charismatic, so it didn't work. Uh, but the leader of the conference took pity on me. And at the end of the conference, he said to me, look, uh, it's Sunday night. I'll take you to a charismatic church. You go on Monday morning. So he took me to this church of two or three hundred people there, met the pastor, was introduced to the pastor, went and sat down. A few minutes later, the pastor came up to me and said, I never do this. Um, but he said, I just feel you ought to preach tonight. Would you preach? Um, and I said, of course. Of course, <laughs> Brack as usual, <laughs> and uh, um, and the Holy Spirit fell on the place, and we became firm friends after that. And um, he invited me to go to, a, to to go to a conference, speak at a conference with him in the Black Forest. A few months after that, um, I was praying, seeking God. I wanted to make an impact, of course. <laughs> oh dear. Um, takes you many years to 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 lose all that kind of um, energy of the flesh and ambition, um, and uh, but the quicker you learn it, the better. Mm. Um, anyway, God spoke to me again, said, "I'm I'm going to open a door for you into Austria," and so I, I added on a couple of days to go down to Vienna. I got a train ticket to Vienna, and. Um, Anyway, got to the conference late and um, a guy came sat next to me and I said, can you translate for me? And this guy said, yeah. And he translated from German into English. He introduced himself at the end. He was from Austria. He was a young man who was training to be a Catholic priest. And he got saved through reading the word. And he was looking around wondering what to do with his life because he left the Catholic seminary yeah. an advertisement for this conference and God spoke to him and said go to this conference and you'll meet an Englishman who will show you what to do and I was the so, so this is this is how it works yeah so I said to him well why don't you come over and stay with us for for a, for a bit and get to know us and uh, um, and he brought two of his friends three Austrian young men came and stayed uh, we found a place for them to stay near us, and um, they became great friends. And they came from a place called Amstetten in Austria. Mm. Um, at the same time, God was moving in Amstetten. At the time, this is mid-1980s, mm. right? Long time ago. There, there's no charismatic churches in Austria, very few, mm. hardly any. There was a Pentecostal move of move in the 1920s. Otherwise, it's completely... Catholic back in the 80s mm. so this is um, so these guys said why don't you come back when when they are over here this doctor in Amstetten gets saved a miracle conversion he was healed at the point of death and he started sharing the I haven't got time to give you the whole story anyway these guys said they'd heard about this guy they said, come back and meet this guy, meet some of these people. So I went back to Amstetten with them. And uh, this, I went again. 
and there was a group of people in a hotel and I started preaching, you know, you've got to get baptized. They all went down to the local swimming pool, got baptized, said you need to start a New Testament church. Again, I didn't really know what I was expecting. And this involved serious persecution for a lot, a lot of them. Mm. And I was, as I was preaching away, a, a middle-aged guy, an old boy, really, he got up in the middle of my preaching and he said, halt. And I thought, oh, I've offended him. And he broke down and cried. And he said, before God and before you all, he said, I'm committing myself to starting a New Testament church. This is in the middle of the meeting. Yeah. And one by one, they all got up and said the same thing. They were all embracing each other, crying. And that was the start of, of, a, of a new church. One of the first new charismatic churches in this move of God uh, in, in the 1980s there. Um, and I know it well. They're still good friends of mine. Mm. Um, and uh, and it was it was it was just a, a a miracle of God. So God God spoke to you on the side of a motorway in Germany, <laughs> and that began your you. And then years later, you end up back in Germany through Arthur Wallace. I've got I was look. I've got his book on fasting somewhere. So I he was yeah. before my time, but he still has influence. And um. And so, and then you seem to, so you were in Germany, then you heard from God and just went to Austria and met a guy from Austria. Um, and so the, now I've heard stories about you uh, from other people. Um, and one of them being that you you would hear God and then go to a country, even though you don't know anybody there. Um, yes. that, so tell us, tell us about the first time you did that. Well, then I went to Vienna, even yeah. having met this guy. And I walked the streets of Vienna. With, I've always been with other people, so I, I very hardly ever go on my. I never go on a trip on your own. Mm. Ocean is too lonely. You need people around you. You need friend friends. You need to have a laugh. You need to yeah. people to protect you. You need the security to all the fear fearful things that happen, and to you know help you uh, just to keep you on the straight and narrow, not that it's liable to jump off it, but it's good to have people around you to help you and to, to be with you. So never do anything on your own. That's a, another big lesson. Um, anyway, for two days, we walked and prayed around Vienna and met no one, nothing happened. And I thought, I, in a way, it was a waste of time. In a way, though, I knew that God was with me there. And I began to pray for Austria. And then the whole Amstetten thing anyway was going to open up. So you don't, I, I can't say, please don't get the impression that this is some infallible technique. It's not. You, you hear from God, you step out in faith, you have loads of failures. I can tell you all, all the times when it works. I could tell you many more times when it hasn't worked or it's gone wrong or it's been a waste of time or whatever. The wrong you meet the wrong people and you wish you'd never met them <laughs> uh, so there's all kinds of pitfalls as well um, by the grace of god he saved me from all the all the uh, the, the the bad things so tell us a time where what well, i want two examples so tell us a time where it went wrong and what you learned from that in in that process and then a, a time where it has gone really well 
Well, let me tell you that, I mean, let's say that was a time when it didn't work, right? That's a, that's a, a negative one. Um, uh, a time when it worked wonderfully well. Um, it was also a bit of a disaster. Uh, it's a bit on in the story. I'm, can I just tell you another story first and then I'll yeah, get yeah. this story? Yeah, go for it. Quite instructive as well. Um, I started going to West Berlin to this guy's church. And uh, it was when the wall was up, you know, Berlin Wall and, and the Iron Curtain, all that communist times. And when you, in Berlin, you could go up to the wall at the Brandenburg Gate and, and go up on viewing platforms. So when the wall went up, families were separated. They were on both sides of the wall. And they used to go um, and, and with their binoculars and wave to their relatives on the other side of the wall. You can imagine the emotion and the tears and all that kind of stuff. And I would go there. Well, I went there a few times just to capture the emotion and the feeling and the, you know, kind of um, heart of, of it all. And I was on one of these viewing platforms once. And again, God spoke to me and said, I, he said, lift up your eyes and look over this wall and I'm gonna take you to all these countries one by one, all the way to Moscow. And uh, again, that was a very profound experience for me. I had no desire to go to communist countries. I'd read Brother Andrew. I was totally put off from going anywhere dangerous. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, this will never happen because how does this kind of thing happen? I don't know how, how to make it happen. And I didn't want it to happen. Um, about two weeks later, a German guy in the church there said, I'm going to, um, actually, no, this was the leader of the church. He said, I'm going to um, an underground conference in East Germany of, of um, kind of charismatic lead prayer group leaders in the Lutheran church over there. He said, would you like to come with me? I thought, oh, no, this is God closing in on me. And, uh, anyway. I went with him, went through Checkpoint Charlie, if you've ever heard of that. Yeah. And um, uh, there were other places you could go through the wall as well, even more scary. But we ended up in a place down near Dresden. Mm. And they met 100 people or so in a um, barn, uh, in, in, a, in a little rural village, in a, in a farm. And um, out of everyone's view. And I was there just to... You know, I was with the with the other guy doing. I wasn't due to do anything. And uh, on the second day, they just said, "Why don't you just share and introduce yourself and 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 say hi from England?" So I did that, and um, the Holy Spirit fell on the place again, <laughs> and it was a beautiful time. I I shared then on the fatherhood of God. There was a lot of weeping. Uh, a lot of, you know, God touching people's hearts, of an incredible prophetic move. I don't think I've known quite a prophetic move like was at that meeting. Mm. Uh, you know, there were some amazing prophecies. Out of that time together, there was this Eastern European leader, great man of God. We became firm friends after that. He told me, and I went, he, there were 40 churches that were planted out of that meeting and uh, i used to travel around these churches many many times 
Um, and uh, these became very good friends of mine. Years later, I'd, I'd been to, to one of these churches a few times. Uh, maybe 10 years later, the pastor of the church, he said, look at this. He said, took out an old bit of paper, you know, curling at the edges and all that. He said, you prophesied this over, there were four of us together. He said, you didn't know we were all from the same place, but you prophesied to us as a group. And he said, this was the prophecy. And out of this prophecy, this has guided us. This has been the word of God to us. We call it our Ephesians 7. Um, and um, it was just a, one of those kind of moving, moving times. And, uh, um, and met, there were many prophetic words, healings as well. Mm. People were falling to the ground. We saw a lot of that. This is way be, before Toronto and all that kind of mm. stuff. Yeah. That's not uncommon, but it was it was uh, a surprise to me. But yeah. anyway, went from East Germany then to a number of these Eastern European countries. In the end, I went to Moscow. Again, not knowing anyone there, um, took another friend with me. We walked around the streets of Moscow, met no one, nothing happened, total, total disaster. Um, in terms of, or totally unfruitful. I mean, there was no disaster about it, but it, there was no fruit or nothing seemed to come out of it. Um, and I got home and I was praying and saying, and I actually went to Moscow twice because I was convinced that this was where, where God, you know, God had kind of said, you're going to end up in Moscow. I was assuming something incredible was going to happen in Moscow, but it, it didn't. And I was praying about this and looking at a map of Russia, I, I like maps. I often pray over maps. Um, and, um, and suddenly on the map in the Caucasus area of Southern Russia, it was like it came on fire as I was praying. Mm. And, uh, and God said to me, I don't want you to be in Moscow. I want you to be here. Mm. And another place in, on the map in, in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, these were old Soviet Union countries. Mm. Um, uh, that sprang to life as well. Mm. And so that was a, a, a disaster in terms of nothing happening. But actually, God, you know, you, you actually kind of learn that nothing, you know, God doesn't waste anything. Mm. Might not quite understand it or get it right or, or whatever, but God overrules in all that and beautifully works his purposes out. So it's worth, it's worth taking the step of faith. It's worth doing it without any, you know, um, without worry. I mean, what what's the worst that can happen? Well, a lot of bad things can happen, but yeah. it's worth taking the, the step of faith. And a few weeks after that, I was invited to, go to this very area that came alive, came on fire mm. in Russia. And, um, and so I've, very often God leads you, but you don't get the whole story. You don't understand it properly. Mm. Take a step of faith, and then the next step of faith kind of becomes apparent, and God opens another door. And maybe the first person you meet is not the right person, but then you meet someone else. Yep. I've often seen that. It's often the second man. It's yep. often the second per, uh, place. 
um, is oh, you know God you uses the 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 second you know the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time after he messed it up the first time is the God of the second chance and the the second step and then the next place hallelujah otherwise we wouldn't you know but you've got to take the first step in order to be able to take the second step absolutely and that's it's that is such a big lesson it is it is a massive lesson that um and when i went to to the caucasus area there was all these leaders from uh, that area about 80 people and again the holy spirit fell on on this this group of people that's where a lot of our Russian connections came from, through mm. into Ukraine, and um, and our first connection was through a move of the spirit. People were healed. Amazing stuff happened. There was, yeah, oh, it was, yeah, just just amazing. But um, so God, that's how God opens up doors. He like in in Switzerland. I haven't told you about Switzerland, but in Austria. There was that the door was opened be, through relationship. You know, God, God connected you to a person. The relationship was built. They opened a door for you to go and minister. Yeah, and that became very fruitful. That was in the timing of God. In the, you know, um, probably if, if a if a if a major ministry went and uh, a well known ministry went where I ended up going in Austria, you know, they go with, with a background. There's an expectation yeah. on what they're going to bring. When you go and you're not known and you're just going because God's led you there, uh, people can actually respond to you. The less well-known you are, the more open people, people respond to you. Some people go and chase after all the well-known ministries. They want to get in the big meetings. They want to sit on the front row. They want to meet the, you know, the the, the people that do the stuff, you know, with a reputation. Um, I, I'm very happy to be the the back row boy, not known, um, but with a passion to see God move. I went <laughs> another place I went to was was Armenia. I heard Arthur Wallace, um, I heard Terry Virgo was doing a conference there. I've been praying for Armenia for years. Mm. I just was captured by the Armenian people. I went to this conference with Terry Virgo and a few other people, sat on the back row. Terry and all the guys were meeting with all the, the main leaders of these Armenian churches. And I ended up sitting next to a guy who was sat in the back row like me, feet up. And... Um, uh, and he became a really good friend. We just laughed and and uh, enjoyed each other's company. And he was just starting up a church as it happened. He said, but none of these big, big pastor guys recognize me or invite me even to the to, to the pastor's meetings. And, and I used to sit and, you know, we used to get a drink together. Yeah. And he became a firm friend. And now his church has grown and grown and grown. I, I like a father figure to him, grandfather to his kids. We, uh, he's one of my closest friends. Uh, you'll, many of you in New Frontiers will know him well. Just a great man of God working throughout that region. 
uh, of Armenia and Turkey and Iran and places like that, Iraq. Um, and we're, we are, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, to work that way. Very good. Well, we're coming up to, well, we've been talking for an hour. So, I, and there are more questions I want to ask you. So we might do a second podcast, but I want to end just on one question. Uh, what, what or where are you praying about at the moment? Right now, my um, favourite places are Greenland. Um, Greenland is ready for a move of God. Mm. I've been there a few times now, several times. Mm. Last time I went, all there's, there's about 14 evangelical churches. For the first time in their history, all their leaders came together. Mm. It was my privilege to be able to minister to them. Mm. Beautiful people. I haven't got time to, to tell you about Greenland, but Greenland is... Is, is ready for a move of God. I, I know it is because I prayed for Greenland for 30 plus years when mm. God first spoke to me about going to Greenland. I can, that's another great story. Yeah. And what God spoke to me and said, when it's my time for Greenland, that's when I'll send you. <laughs> and the, and it, it's God's time for Greenland. Greenland's one of my favorite places. Um, Laos in Southeast Asia, beautiful country, stunning, uh, uh, you know, uh, place to go to. Beautiful place. This, this is this is what I got this morning, right? This, these are the kind of stories I'm I'm hearing from Laos every week almost. Yeah. Hey, Martin, God is so good. Our outreach teams just visited many rural villages, and this family of seven started following Jesus. They worshipped jungle spirits, but the village witch doc doctor couldn't heal their son. So a Christian prayed and their son was healed. Wow. And burned all their spirit charms as a public step of faith. All over the weekend, 11 believers got baptised in the local stream. 50 new Bibles were presented to them. These rural poor villages are getting saved all over the north of Laos. Amazing. I, if, it's a miracle how we got involved with this. I'm yeah. trying to tell you that story. Laos, we're praying for Laos. God, there is a move of God going on in Laos. Yeah. And the other place is Israel. Um, just is Israel is, a, is again, I know, um, I, let me just say, I love Israel. And I believe that there's going to be a move of God. There is a move of God stirring in, in Israel. Yeah. Um, and um, we have often been to Israel. We, <laughs> again, there isn't time to 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 um, to tell you, but but we're we're connected with incredible men and women of God mm. in in Israel, um, and some of the churches that have, that we've been involved with from their beginning are now among the biggest churches in Israel. Mm. Uh, church planting, amazing stuff. There are three other places. Where I'm all Nepal is another one. Um, <laughs> I should have found you, you weren't praying for that, might have been a short list. <laughs> Very yes, good. Uh, lots of places. 
Very good. Well, Martin, I really appreciate your time. Um, there are a bunch of questions I wanted to, which we're not going to ask now, but we'll come back to um, around. I'm very curious about what, how you view the apostolic gifting, which something we're quite comfortable with in New Frontiers, but other people may not be just unfamiliar with the idea and how we apply it. Um, and also when when you travel abroad and you come back to the UK, how that causes you to reflect. They're the things we will talk about next time, not this time before you start <laughs> telling me stories again. And we will finish there. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Real privilege. Thank you for listening to my, my stories. No problem. Thank you, Martin.